Righty, eh? Let me pray again. Father, thank you that we can be gathered. Uh, thank you that even though we're small in number, Lord, that we still uh, have one another here uh, to, to be with, to, to bring encouragement with, uh, to share with. Lord, thank you that we can still have the freedom to meet in this way. Uh, Lord, thank you that we have your word, that it's not censored to us, but it's, but it's in our language. My Lord, that your spirit who inspired it is in our hearts, bringing it to, to life. So Lord, we just um, look to you to, to use your word, to use this time now to, to mould us and shape us and grow us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so the, the talks that I've been giving have been all trying to address our circumstances, thinking about if we can't sing, well then what really is worship, uh, which we did a couple of weeks ago, and then last week to think about how praise is a function of worship, so praising God even though we can't sing together at the moment is really central to our relating to God, that we'd speak joyfully to Him, but the other, the other thing that we see modelled in the Bible and the other, the other thing that we have uh, to bring to God, whether it's in song or in, in prayer or, or, or whatever, is, is to lament, uh, to lament. So we want to have a real, um, a real dig into this uh, this morning and have a little bit of a think. I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Um, we will get through this text, uh, but some of it will be through people's song interpretation. So I've actually got a couple of music film clips uh, that deal with some of these verses and um, it worked at nine o'clock so I'm sticking with it for this service as well. So um, yeah. But I just want you to think that's my guitar over there, one of my guitars and a guitar has 12 frets or at least 12 different notes on each string, uh, over six strings. And the thing about a guitar is you can put those notes together in a variety of ways. You can play a melody, you can play a chord. You can play that with a real major sounding tonality. You can use a major key. Uh, you can play something on there that, that evokes something that's really uplifting or full of energy and excitement. That's the way that I like to play. A bit like, um, what's that band called? Uh... Oh, I've drawn a blank. You too, I do love you too. But no, um, Mumford and Sons. Does anyone know them? Yeah, that kind of high energy Irish. That's, if I could perfect a guitar style, that's where I'd be going. Um, sometimes the guitar particularly is great at expressing the blues, playing those blue notes, that kind of bittersweet, halfway between major, halfway between minor, those kind of notes that you don't want to hang on for too long, but they kind of evoke another feeling. Or some things uh, you can create on a guitar are just far darker, a real minor key, heavy sounds, all of those kind of things. And the thing about that one instrument is that it can provide something that is heavy or light, uplifting or pretty dark. Uh, it can express a variety of moods, whether it's played fast or slow. But all of them in their own way, have a beauty about them. All of them display what that instrument is, is capable of. Now, you, most instruments are like that. Music is uniquely like that. Probably except in the case when your kid comes home with a recorder 
or where, you know, the kid across the road's learning the violin or something like that. Mostly, it's used as a, as a thing that reflects beauty. So I want to just bounce off that into a little bit of an analogy for our life as believers. I, I think that as believers, we're given such a secure relationship with our Lord that we've got a freedom that overcomes this world to express all kinds of different things. And we've talked about how that will often be to boldly sing his praise, but I think we're given another way to worship God, and that is to lament, to cry out. Cry out not with joy, but cry out with, fear, with uh, expressions of our pain or expressions of our fears, or expressions even of our doubts. Do you know that it's at least one-third, maybe as much as 45%, so somewhere in between that, of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are cries of lament. That's at least one in three. That's quite a significant portion. Passionate cries of, of sorrow or of sadness. Just think to that picture that the, um, Jesus gives us, that our Christian life is like a life built on the rock. You know, there was the two builders, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. And Jesus says, build your life on my words, on my teaching. You'll be like this house set on the stone. But then he says that as the storms come and the waves crash, the house will stand still. As Jesus tells that parable, he's not denying the fact that in this life, storms will come, that waves will crash on you. Now, the awesome thing about what he's saying is that I'm giving you a firm foundation in this life, one that will endure to eternity. But it's very clear that as believers, we still face a world of unbelief. We face a world that in its ways are hostile to God. They suffer the curse, God's curse, that has come on sin. And brokenness is evident because of sin. You don't have to scratch far into a person's life or even into your own life to find that. See, sometimes... On the path to our joyful praise, we have to walk a road of hardship. In Psalm 77, it gives us a model, really, of what it is to lament. So there's times when we will struggle to bring praise to God. And, and that's not because God is not good, not because he ceases to be good, but because darkness does close in on us. Or maybe it's as we experience loss. But really, there is a prayer and a song for every season and for every emotion we experience. So this psalm, Psalm 77, it has no context given. It's written by Asaph, and that's all that we know. We don't know a whole heap about what he went through or what he was going through, but it was a real person who had a real relationship with God. And in this psalm, he expresses the troubles of his heart. One of the beautiful things about the psalms is they're written in such a way 
that they can become our songs, that they can become our prayers as we need them in our relating to God. So, for the first 10 verses, we're going to listen to this musical interpretation of it. When I thought I'll I'll give a go doing it this way, I got onto uh, Apple Music and onto YouTube and uh, looked up all the songs that had been written to Psalm 77. My goodness, there is a diverse range. There was some very traditional sounding hymns. There was some pretty awful country music done to it. Um, and I just picked the styles of music that I like best. No, that's not exactly right. I, did, I picked these two, uh, the, the first one now and the other one for the second half of the psalm, uh, just because, I don't know, there's something hit a chord with me on how this songwriter has interpreted uh, these words. So it's, he, he doesn't stick word for word or line for line with the, um, with the uh, verses. So I encourage you to have that in front of you and you can kind of marry it up with what he's uh, singing and then I'll get up and I'll say a few things about it.
pretty dark at the start there, isn't it? It's in a minor key. Like I said, we don't know his circumstances, but his circumstances have got him crying out to God. Um, I was just reflecting then. It's, it's, he's not repenting. It's not, it's not it's, it's like there's some kind of sin that he's coming before God in. There is a place and a season for that and to lament over our, our own sinfulness. He's, he's tied up in this, but... Listen to verse 2. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. No comfort coming his way. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances and the more he tires into the night, the less he finds comfort, the less he finds the comfort that he seeks. The chunk three verses three to verse six. He, he, he talks about how his spirit grows faint as he does this. He's physically being weakened by this experience. He says in verse five that he's faced things before and he's cried out. I thought about former days, the years long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. But these meditations and and his spirit asking, it's only produced more questions. I'll read those verses that came up partway through the song. It said, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? They're pretty bold questions, aren't they? And this is where his searching has reached. Have you prayed prayers like that before? Would you pray a prayer like that? Do you you realise that it's okay to pray that way? Notice in those questions, he never questions God's character. See, for God to reject or for God to withhold his favour or his mercy or compassion, that would not be unjust on God's part. This is what God has promised to do on a world that is in rebellion against him. In fact, it's what we're all deserving of and that's why it's what Jesus truly experienced. See, the psalmist here muses that this is what could be, God could be up to in his circumstances. But when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because God had forsaken him in judgment for sin on the cross. That's exactly what happened. He was left there to hang. And yet the psalmist knows that what God might be justified to do, he has promised to withhold doing. He really is full of mercy and compassion. What might be unclear to a psalmist before Jesus is plainly clear to us as Christians. Because we know that Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. We don't have to suffer God's rejection or or withholding his mercy because we know that it's been extended to us. 
He's adopted us as his children. He's lavished on us father, his fatherly love. And in fact, it's in God's nature to, to do that as well. The cross is incredible in that God's justice and mercy meet perfectly. But just before we skip on to the turning point in the psalm, because, I mean, thankfully that's not where it stops. Notice how in his lament, there's a comparison to the former days. It's in verse 5. And there I think he's, he's reflecting on, you know, I've been here before, God, but I cried out to you, and you know, you came to me, and you rescued me, and I was, it was all good. We got on with life. What's going on now? When I was a kid, I, I pretty much liked school most of the time, but I think I often, and you can confirm this, Mum and Dad, I, I really looked forward to growing up. Like I, I kind of envied being a grown-up and, and having the, the freedom. Um, but Dad would always say to me, it's some of the best years of your life, and I think you're probably the age I am now, and I think you were probably reflecting on the freedom from responsibility that you have when you're a kid. It's in our nature to do that, isn't it? To look back on, on the glory days, the days gone by. That's kind of what he's doing here. And it, I think that's what we're already starting to do. I mean, we had this virus come into our country and cause this big stir in March of this year. It's not really that long ago. I mean, in January you could have been on a European holiday. Maybe you were. We're probably already thinking about the glory days when we could go to that mystical land called Queensland. Or that, um, what, you know, that other place, uh, Victoria. You might be thinking, uh, what is it like to you know, throw a party and have people around or, or to embrace people in a hug or, or at church? What is it? What is it? What is it like to sing? It's been so long since we've done it. I don't want to trivialise what it is to suffer, but lament isn't just about suffering. It's it's reflecting on loss. It's reflecting on things that we recognise just aren't as they ought to be. I wanted to look at this topic today because there is much to lament over at the moment. They're the everyday graces or the common graces that just mean that our families function in certain ways and our communities function in certain ways and, and our, our church can be what it is. They've been removed to some extent or another. And not only that, we recognise that our hopes are being shown for what they've hoped in, where hopes have been placed in, in progress or in globalisation or, or in medis, medical advancement. Cracks have appeared. They've been shown as vulnerables. Surely in this season, you are more aware of stuff that you just take for granted. The real question you should be asking is, have you taken your relationship with God for granted? Maybe slowing down because of the coronavirus has revealed that your busyness was just noise. Noise that drowned out a, a declining richness in how you commune with God. Maybe you've had hopes dashed 
but it's actually revealed that they were misplaced hopes. Hopes that should have been hoping in a sovereign God. Or maybe you've just really grown in this season. We're back to the four soils talk, aren't we? Maybe you've really grown in this season and, and you just are really aware of just how sovereign God is, but, but that is shining a light on, on seasons past in your life when you just despaired, when you could have hoped. We have a freedom in our relationship with God to explore this, to, to live this out. Lament, lamenting before God is a function of our worship because it's coming before a holy and sovereign God and being really honest over what you realised brings honour to Him. So We shouldn't fear it. The lament is not coming to God despairing. When you despair, you don't go to anyone. You're just caught in your despair, in, in your sense of hopelessness. But lament is crying out with pain and trouble and realisation that all is not right with the world to a God who sees that plainly and keeps it in his control. Because we possess hope that there is a good God who sets things right in this world. That God is robust. He can handle our lament and in fact he invites it. The fatherly love he shows us delights for us to come to him. And whether that's with joyful praise or with a heart that's breaking for the things that break, breaks his own heart. We've got that freedom. This second uh, take on this psalm picks up on verse 10. And I know that that guy, he switched to the major key and he took it there, but these guys do it a little bit differently. And I think when we look at where the psalmist goes in this, we'll see that when we get dark in our thinking and in our heart before God, we're coming to a path that leads us back to the light. So listen to this uh, second song. Then I thought to this I will appear of the right hand of the Most High.
Verse 10, then I thought, it occurs to him, to this I will appeal. He starts with an appeal. God, you've stretched out your hand before. You have acted before. And even though I can't sense it right now, I, I know that you have. You've acted in ways that bring deliverance. You've done the miraculous. And so from remembering that thought. That's, that's the one little sparkle of light that he's got in his situation. He then considers and meditates on that. And as he does, he realises that his circumstances are out of his control. Isn't that such trouble we cause for ourselves when we believe the lie that, that we control much of what goes on in our life? 
Instead of focusing on what's on out of his control, his focus shifts onto what God has done because that cannot change. And so thirdly, the inevitable happens for him. As his focus shifts, so does his hope. No longer is he hoping that he's going to find this instant relief to his trouble. But as he focuses on what he can hope in, he's no longer plagued by questions. There's no more growing faint. There's no more absence of comfort because remembering that act brings him comfort. Verses 16 to 20 is, is what he, he tells us what he focuses on. Let, read them with me. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was the was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. What's he talking about? Listen to verse 19. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He looks back on the Exodus. He looks back on God rescuing his people. Was he there? It doesn't matter. Because just in that one revealed act of God, he can see that there is reason to hope. Now the spectacle of the sea opening up, listen to how he describes it. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. He, he's not describing the spectacle of the parting of the sea. He's describing what would have been unseen, but what is known. This is the power of God at dis- on, on display. He doesn't paint us a beautiful picture of, of the miraculous scene. He paints us a picture of the Almighty God, the God that does this sort of stuff. See, in verse 5, he's looking back on his circumstances and, and his previous experiences, and, and that's stuff that he's taken for granted. And all that's done for him is produced more questions. But his looking back shifts from looking back on his circumstances to now looking back on what God has done. And bang, there's hope. Just like that. You know, I think people are rightly saying that because of 2020, everything that's going on this year, the world will change forever. That's probably true. It'll be different to a different extent in different parts of, of the world, but just life as we know it. But I tell you what, whether it's what's going on globally or some tragedy in your own life or what's going to take place from here to the rest of this year, Whenever it occurs in your life, whenever you go through dark times, I tell you what, there is going to be nothing that can happen that will put Jesus back in the ground. He's risen. There's nothing that can happen that will mean that our sin hasn't been dealt with as as that judgment was placed by God on Jesus in our place. See, Our lament is warranted before God because we have hope. 
we would be we would be missing something to come before God absolutely despairing. And some psalms are far darker than this one. And it might look like despair. But this, this psalm is incredible. He says he finds comfort just in that knowledge. I mean, our Christian life is far richer when it's, when it's brought to life as, as we know that his very spirit is living with us and guiding us. But even when it's, you know, maybe it's that faith as small as a mustard seed or that, that one little glint of hope. In lamenting, that's, that's what we can hold on to. See, we have hope. And even if we feel hopeless, and even if we're not experiencing warm, fuzzy comfort in our heart, do what the psalmist does and look back on what God has done. There's enough comfort in that alone that even when darkness surrounds you, you have a path back to embrace the loving embrace of our God. We've, um, we've partly been based in Hebrews over the last few weeks and there's a really succinct part of that that I'm, I'm going to pray for us as we, um, as we close this off. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16 if you want to look that reference up later. But this is what it says. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that in Jesus... We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus, your son, who, who sits at your side. So Lord, please, in all of life's ups and downs, let us hold firmly to the faith in him that we profess. And Lord, in him, we know that we don't have a great high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Lord, but he did not sin. And so we approach your throne, your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive your mercy and we will find every grace to help us in our times of need. Amen.